Welcome back to this week's episode of Let's Chat Ethics. I'm your co-host, Oriana. And I'm your other co-host, Amanda. And this week, we are joined by Ruth, who I also work with. He's my work friend. So, Ruth, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to have you here. So I don't know if you want to just give a short intro into um, your work and um, your PhD, maybe, and tell us about, uh, you know, why you care about ethics and AI and, um, I guess, security as well. And then we can get into the topic itself, which you kindly shared with us today. Um, thank you very much, Rihanna and Amanda, for having me here. Uh, my name is Rose, and I did my PhD at Brunel University. And in that said, I started um, with a background in statistics and data science. And I moved into basically applying this knowledge to securing cyberspace. Now, the idea of securing cyberspace is very multifaceted. So you have the issue of underground cybercrime, and you have issues of data privacy, and you have issues of the misuse of technology, and you have issues of um, big tech companies that basically don't want regulation. So they provide this basically exploitation pipeline for any technology that they put on the market. So um, my focus basically, in my research career, like I focused on mainly two areas of this um, multi-facets. Um, and this has to do with mostly data privacy and cyber transnational crime. So the project I want to speak today about was, I think one of the most interesting projects I worked on. Um, it sort of fell on my lap. I wasn't actually planning to go into it. It has to do with cyber transnational crime and basically how online sex uh, ad companies uh, enabling sexual exploitation. This is very important because it goes very deep than just you know, sexual exploiters or sex pimps putting adverts for their victims on these sex websites. It's also the issue of that these websites, there is evidence that most of these websites also have algorithms that push this um adds to the top of their sites because these pimps will have access to quote unquote elite clientele and so they would have access to the clients that actually pay top dollar and um so basically these pimps also have the money to address any sort of um web registration, booking fee. They have the money to take care of their victims. They have the money to set up an organization. Basically, they have the money to set up a trafficking pipeline. They have the resources to do so. And there is very little check and balance to actually address this. So the question you, I think the question on your mind is, what's different now? Online sex websites have been there for ages, since the 90s, and prostitution has been there for a very long time. What's different now is that COVID happened. And what really happened during COVID and post-COVID is that you have to understand the sex market pre-COVID to actually understand why this became a very, a very big problem. So pre-COVID, Let's first look at the legal framework that defines what's prostitution or what sexual exploitation is. Any individual person in most countries, or let's say most European countries, can by their own stead decide to sell themselves as prostitutes, right? I'm oh, sorry, sell themselves as independent sex workers, excuse me. Um, that's legally not a crime. And the definition that separates independent sex work from prostitution or solicitation of, solicitation of prostitution is how you get your clients. And so provided you do not um, go into prostitution with cohesion or through any third-party affiliation, this is very important, third-party affiliations being sex agencies, pimps, or sex products, then basically, you can offer sex for money, 
or you can visit people for money. That's not a problem. So how did law enforcement pre-COVID fight um, prostitution when people had third party affiliation? So this third party affiliates, what they do is, so first of all, you have to look at what type of girls would be vulnerable to being victims, how they get these girls, and basically why it is that, you know, this actually is not a problem because they are there, they are out there, but it's just not looked at. So first of all, the types of girls that would be exploited are um, girls from countries that maybe they would be promised in their home country that, you know, they'll come here to work in hospitality. And so they would get here, their passports will be seized. And when their passport is seized, they, it's not under force. They said, okay, we're going to apply for work visa for you. The pimp or exploiter may tell these girls, we're going to apply for a work visa for you. And they take this passport or whatever travel document that they have, and then they keep it. And one thing leads to another, the girl finds herself in a sex trafficking ring. And of course, she wants to leave. Nobody wants to be in that situation. But she has nowhere to go because she's an undocumented immigrant. And two, now she's told that she actually owes this sex pimp money because he spent 10,000 pounds bringing her from Vietnam or whatever country she came from. And she has to walk her way to pay him back this 10,000 pounds. And the way she's going to do that is, for example, to sleep with a hundred men for say, a hundred pounds or a thousand pounds each, however this splits, do the math. So this is basically how these rings work. Now these rings go undetected mainly, I think for two reasons. One, in the way that they operate, which is um, pre-COVID, the tradition was that the law enforcement officers could actually create sting operations, right? Where they could set up some sort of sting operation where um, a law enforcement officer would book with a, suspect, a suspected pimp. So they would know where these brothels are. They would know where these girls are being trafficked and they would go there physically, right? And basically get these pimps. Post COVID, what happened is everyone went into their houses. So these people needed to become innovative. So this is where these online sex markets come in. And this is not just for, we, for our research, we used adult work. This is not just for adult work. This can be to any other online site claiming to offer independent sex work. For example, OnlyFans, right? Um, so what, how do these um, sex ads, how do you actually, so for us, the problem became, how do you, because most of this, advertisements on these websites are actually for independent sex workers. It's not a crime to be an independent sex worker. So, but um, third party affiliates like escort agencies and pimps and sex brothels also exploit these platforms to actually market their services. So they started exploiting these platforms to market their services. So it wasn't the case that a brothel was a physical location somewhere anymore post-COVID, right? <laughs> it was not the case that the brutal was sort of an online entity with, say, a controller that was offering a set of girls that he has kept somewhere or that he has access to, or he knows they're not going anywhere. So you have to understand that these men don't necessarily have to put handcuffs on these girls, right? Because they have made it so that they really can't actually go anywhere. So. One, when you get this, um, um, when you get to this online um, sex online um, sex ad sites, the analytics problems then become how do you separate cohesion from independent sex work? How do you separate third party affiliation from independent sex work? Because anyone is allowed to advertise their service anyone is allowed to advertise their sex work. And these pimps would advertise for their girls in the first person. So they would advertise for their victims as themselves, right? 
So not necessarily I have a girl who I can sell to you that would advertise as the girl themselves. So how do you, so it would all look like independent sex work, but there are some girls within this that are actually being exploited. So how do you actually fish out this exploitation link? So actually do this, we had three major indicators that we had to look for. And the first was how do we actually identify third-party affiliation, that is third-party management. And before we identify third-party management, we had to define two things. So the definition of vulnerability and the definition of exploitation. What does it mean for a sex ad? You have to remember that we're no more dealing with like people, we're dealing with like just an ad posted on a website for sex, right? So how do you define that a sex ad is for someone who's vulnerable? And how do you define this person, is, this is an exploitation or this is a possible exploitation? So to define vulnerability, we looked at things like ethnicity, regardless of, regardless of um, price, sorry, regardless of um, price or circumstance, um, different ethnicities have, basically there's a pecking order for different ethnicities in the sex market, right? Where you have um, white Europeans at the top and white Europeans and Asians at the top and then every other person below, right? And this is regardless of whether they are being exploited or not, this fact is true. So we, ne we couldn't necessarily use pricing as an indicator for exploitation or ethnicity and pricing, because this would be true whether they were independent sex workers or whether they were um, being exploited. So how do we actually define that people were vulnerable? So one of the most interesting things that we looked at was their travel routes. So what we identified was that these pimps would have these girls and they would take them travel along a specific route, for example, Slough to Reading, right? And back, and they would repeat, because that's where their clients are. Clients are. They would repeat these routes with maybe different games at different dates on different times. And maybe one route for one pin, maybe three routes for one pin, or it may be multiple pins taking the same route. So how do you actually, so this was one way we actually identified that someone was being exploited. And that was by identifying that they were moving on exactly the same route every single day. Now, when you take that in addition to their um, age, and in addition to their ethnicity, then you actually begin to see a pattern because these men are not trafficking 40-year-old women, right? <laughs> They're not trafficking or advertising 40-year-old women. Um, neither are they even trafficking 30-year-old women, right? They would be with anywhere between, even underage girls from 17 to um, anywhere to 25, but they wouldn't advertise them as 17, they would advertise them as 21. Now, another thing we looked at was the text within the online advertisement. So you have to understand that although these platforms like the website hosts that actually um, provide this platform for advertisements, although they, they absorb themselves, there's a disclaimer on their websites, you know, the normal disclaimer, we do our best to make this a safe place, but we're not legally bound for any legal thing that happens in. So they have those normal disclaimers on their sites. They do have rules. So you're not allowed to, um, you have to be over 18 to participate in said stuff, right? And in some countries, the age for consexual sex may be 21. You know that it may be um, 18. You know that it may be 16, depending on where you are. So this kind of things actually play. Now this sex, Teams would not necessarily go on these platforms and advertise their girls as um, underage Asia. They would not say that. So they would use keywords which their clients actually understand. Like, um, for example, they would use keywords like um, "I love ramen noodles." Like, um, uh, for example, they would use a keyword like. Um, I love ramen noodles in the morning, just jogging to stay young and 
beautiful. You understand? Love my morning with ramen. That's a key word. So the client will know that, you know, um, this is someone that's Asian. They use different types of code names like this, right? <laughs> and so we were looking for this sort of out of sample, like when someone just says something on a sex ad, like, you know, uh, I love ramen. Do you understand? So that, that's very fishy. So we also looked for those type of indicators where um, we saw those sort of, um, you can call them dog whistles, right? To mm. this in the loop clients. And so that was another set of indicators that we looked for. And I think the most important thing that we did that actually began to actually show third party management was that we did something called tech similarity. So we assumed that if um, a pimp or had 10 girls, he would write the advert for those 10 girls, right? Or his company or a writing software or whatever would write the advert for those 10 girls. So we thought that we could actually look for um, this sort of similarity between the text ads themselves and try to cluster these text ads into a similar. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that um, this is true because you have to understand that we have no ground truth. We cannot just apply some sort of supervised learning because we don't know who was actually exploited. So this for us was the best we got to a ground truth. Finding this similar text, and then most importantly, um, finding these similar phone numbers. Now, no, the pimps are actually very smart. They're not going to put their same phone number on 10 websites, right? That method was. And, but what they would do is they would buy the same SIM card or they would buy multiple SIM cards from the same SIM card provider. So what you see is that maybe the first um, five, six, four, five, six numbers of the phone number is the same, right? And then what's different are the last three digits of the, um, so basically the area code and what's the, the one in the middle, they would necessarily be the same. And the last three digits would be different. So when you stem the phone numbers and then you create clusters of sex workers, then when you combine these three um, factors, that's the movement, similar routes, third party management, and tech similarity. When you combine that with ethnicity and their supposed age, so when they want to advertise, say, an underage person, they wouldn't necessarily say 17. They would use the least minimum age that they are legally acquire, required to, to use. So for example, if they were in the UK, I think you have to be 21 before you can do independent sex work. There was an age limit. So they would use 21 or 16, or sorry, or 18, depending on where you were. So you look for those people who, you know, are just in sex work now, you know, at the age of 18, they've graduated high school, but they decided to become independent sex workers. So when you combine these factors, then you begin to see a pattern emerge. And um, I think what we, what we saw was very revealing because it was the problem that most of these people were actually being trafficked or there were at least one or two at any given time, there were at least one or two confirmed sex agencies, pimps or sex brutals that were trafficking women on multiple routes within the UK, especially from the Channel Islands to the United Kingdom or England. Yeah, from Channel Islands to the United Kingdom, different parts of the United Kingdom. And this was going on scene because um, it's not a problem that you would actually a problem is a problem when it's like saying um, you cannot charge someone with murder if there's no dead body, right? If the sex worker doesn't exist, so technically there is no exploitation because you don't know that it exists. The only people who know they are missing would be in some country somewhere, probably can't speak English or <laughs> what they are. And that's it. So imagine if a girl had 
parents in Vietnam and she was here and she just got missing. And you know, that's it. That's 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 just it. That's the end of it. Until she somehow finds a way out of this sex rape. That's it. So that's the summary of the project that we did. And I hope it was useful. Yeah, that was really thank you very much for the summary. I think it's a like heavy topic, I think hard to to talk about. I think I don't know. Personally, I think I, I hear a lot about sex trafficking, but it's when you um, kind of learn a little bit more about it and how it works that it really hits you. I think when, I don't know, I feel like we usually get a very withdrawn or sort of separate view of of the issue. And when you kind of think that, yeah, like at the age of 16 or maybe younger, even at 18, 20, even in your 20s, it's horrible, but that as a child, um that you would I'm getting emotional again <laughs> it's a hard topic um that yeah that, that people would do that to um to children really um and even to to grown women so I'm sort of happy to see that there's work trying to tackle this well in terms of numbers, in terms of numbers the sex trafficking industry is actually a very lucrative industry um, from a single girl or a single victim, it is estimated that the sex trafficker can make anywhere between a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand pounds. Or let's put it wow. Out. Yep, just from a disgusting. So, <laughs> uh, depending on what age she is, so the network can make that amount of money. So it's actually a very very lucrative business. Um, mm -hmm. The problem is that they have changed tactics, and I feel that my take is that most of the legislation that we have is really built to deal with sex trafficking of the 90s and not mm -hmm. necessarily what we have now. Um, yeah. I don't know any pimp that would take a horde of girls and go to the corner of a street just uh, <laughs> to... yeah. I don't think any like if 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 I were that's not what I would do, right? Um, they've evolved. They hide on these websites. They're even on Twitter. They're on Reddit. They are there, but we just don't have the mechanism. And I think that we don't. We just don't have the mechanism to actually find um these victims. There are a lot of companies that are actually invested in this. I found one called Thorn. Um, Thorn is a, um, this is not my company, by the way. I just think they're doing something really interesting. <laughs> uh, I have no affiliations to the company whatsoever. Um, it was something, it was one of the companies that really um, got me. And they are a um, AI website. Basically, they take pictures of um, missing people from the police or wherever. And they basically do image recognition to underground sex rings in this sex um, market, in this online markets to see who's being trafficked. So, um, so that's one. Um, so yeah, that's I think where the gap is, and there are a lot of companies out there trying to fill this gap. And I think we do need a lot of um, updates to legislation on on how to and retraining of like law enforcement and how to actually find and identify sex workers. Sorry, um, excuse me. Exploited sex victims in these underground rings. Um, mm. I'd like to know more in depth about this. There's actually a BBC documentary by Louis Thoreau, Louis Thoreau about um, this site, adult work, sex trafficking and pornography. And that would give you an insight exactly to how these exploiters think. They actually don't believe that these girls are victims. They, how do I explain this? They don't believe that what they are doing is wrong, or um, they they believe that you know it's just business. It's just like if you come to work and you use a sheet of paper, you print something. It's not good anymore. You squeeze it and throw it in a bit. Right, that's literally what it is to them. Um, these girls get trapped in these sex trafficking rings. And we're not talking about 
being scarred because he was trapped there for um, six years. In as little as three months to six months, we could have slept with, we could have been trafficked or um, forced to have sex with anywhere between 50 to 100 men. And when you, when one of them finally somehow escapes the sex trafficking ring, they come out with diseases, sexually transmitted diseases. They have not even gotten the emotional scar that they, they have to live with. Um, some of them can no more give birth. Some of them have had, you know, anywhere between five to ten abortions. Um, so it's it's really horrible for a lot of them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very dark topic, and this is why I think. Um, figures of toxic figures like Andrew Tate who have has gotten a lot of attention and has actually got a, a worrying amount of followers um and examples of Andrew Tate which made me really upset was that he'd had allegations of um sex trafficking and uh, abuse and rape of women in the UK and the UK government decided not to pursue that um and it's taken him going to Romania and openly saying that he is in Romania because of he can sex traffic, pretty much. He said that in his own words. Um, and finally, they're doing something. Who knows if he will actually be put in prison and held to justice. But the scary thing about that is that, you know, he's uh, seen as a celebrity. He was on Big Brother. He was He's an open celebrity and he's got a big cult following of men and like you said Ruth that they don't see it as um, exploitation they see it as business um and it's yeah it's it's very it's very worrying I think there needs to be more well more safety is for women uh, to start but I think governments like the UK government have a responsibility actually that they aren't upholding in my opinion yeah but you have to actually be so in reality, it really comes down to accountability and legislation. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, firstly, who is accountable for actually identifying this sex or victims, right? It's not normalized that, you know, only fans like the owners of only fans or the owners of adult would it's not part of their business process to check for if someone is of just check for exploited victims or if someone is under vulnerability, right? It's up to non-profit organizations or, you know, the World Bank who would say, okay, you know what? We are dedicated this amount of money to this problem. So that means there is really no one in reality. What this means is that there's really no one accountable for this, right? As it is. That's what it really means. That this tech companies or these companies offering this independent sex work. I think there is even one about um, Pornhub as well. There is no one, they are not accountable, right? It's more of guidelines for them. And then someone actually has to have the resource to sue these companies <laughs> before something actually can get done. Um, but it's not part of their business process. It's not part of their ethical framework. It's not part of anything within their company to say, you know what, okay, we are going to draw a hard line on to actually dedicate resources to ensure that no one on our platform is a victim of sex trafficking. That's not something that they've defined. So there is no accountability. That's the first thing. Now, who, are, who, would, who actually has the power to bring these companies to account? Like Oriana said, that's the government. I don't think the government is, so it, this is where it becomes tricky because most of these companies, for example, TechHub, sorry, Pornhub, is actually a registered tech company called MindGeek, right? They, they, they are not, most of these companies are not registered as prostitution or sex <laughs> companies, right? They're not registered as escort agencies, but they might as well be because that's exactly what they are doing. But they are registered as tech companies. So legally, or they will fall within the purview of any sort of um, 
restrictions or regulations that any other tech company such as Google or uh, Microsoft would fall under. So they're not exempt in any way. And I don't think that that's proper. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring up OnlyFans because I think it's when I whenever I hear about it on social media and stuff, it's sort of hailed as like peak women's empowerment of like taking charge of their um, sexuality. And, you know, that's nice. But it, I think there's this dark side to it that maybe nobody is really talking about um, where you know, it's sexual exploitation or there can be. Um, and, you know, it's still all about like talking about it like it's just business. I think it just sort of that these women and girls are being treated basically like cattle, um, just completely dehumanized and just a commodity to, to trade. And I think the fact that there's so little sort of regulation about it and such little effort and no uh, no accountability for this is I think really a show of like the still the existing miso misogyny in in the world um that that we can do this to to women and girls and yeah Oriana just to piggyback on Oriana's point I think it's it's, it's sort of feeding into this normalization of exploitation of women, I think, right? Which is somehow seen as, okay, you know what? The way it's seen is, you know, if you decide that a woman can sell herself for sex and be an independent sex worker. So it's just assumed that everybody on this platform is an independent sex worker. So... The idea, so when, if, if you, if you talk of regulation for this platform, you have, you also have to talk of regulation for independent sex workers as well, which is not something the independent sex workers themselves would be up in your case. We've seen this with the case of like Pornhub and OnlyFans when the sex workers themselves were very, were at a revolt, basically complaining that, you know, the government will take away their source of income and they were not interested in hearing anything about you know regulating or regulating that space at all so yeah i think that's a problem yeah do you, um in your in your research and your work i guess and in your opinion um i guess historically women have been exploited um throughout time and uh the sex um sex industry but then also this uh the dark um exploitation of um sex of, of for women has been um you know historically awful do you think that the online world has made this even worse or more accessible because of um you know anyone can access kind of content from anywhere rather than in you know before 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 this kind of access, you would have to have gone and physically met someone or something like that. Do you do you think that things have got dramatically worse, or do you think it's a different type of exploitation? Yeah, I mean exploitation. So there are different types of services that is um, that are offered by. Let's 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 drill it down to just exploitation. So it's sex. A pimp does not necessarily have to offer only sex services, right? They offer mm -hmm. things like webcam services, right? Where a girl can be naked. They could offer BDSM, where they get to flog a girl in front of a webcam for a client, right? And this would be advertised as webcam services, foot fetish or whatever sort of gory thing you may think about. Um, but I think that access, well, the one thing you have to understand is that these websites have always been there. They've not not ever been there. The problem is that post during COVID and post COVID, most of these pimps got innovative, right? Mm -hmm. They all swamped online, and it became, I think, a little bit harder for law enforcement to actually track and bring these pimps to justice. 
because now they are just jumbled up in this. Um, they are jumbled. First of all, they are they are now within this new framework, an online sex ad, right? You have to also understand that they whatever you do, you're operating within legal frameworks of whatever platform, entity, country that you are in. Right. So first of all, they're operating within this new framework in an online platform, right? That's like me, you know, going on Reddit, saying, you know, I want to have sex with someone. And, you know, someone has sex with me. How does the law enforcement decide whether I was exploited, right? Or not? Right. So the law enforcement has to somehow determine that someone else wrote that ad for me. I did not write that ad for myself. But he has no ground truth or no reference to work with, right? He probably has never seen Reddit post or um, adult work post of actually exploited victims, right? And he just doesn't know who's exploited or not. And these girls cannot come forward because they may be de they, they fear that they may be deported, they may go to prison, they, they fear different types of repercussions against them. So they're not necessarily going to come forward and say, oh, being exploited help me so yeah most of them would even run from the police so <laughs> that's also i think an indictment on law enforcement or rather um government's regulation around immigration and around um, uh, minority communities that it's people would rather be exploited sexually than go to the police right so that's something else I think to think about. And I suppose, um, my, I guess my question is how, like, what are some things that maybe the, actually no, what I wouldn't want to ask about is how come the government hasn't maybe published or made available for some projects, some actually, because they will, should have maybe some adverts that they've, followed up on and found that they were actually a human trafficking oh, yeah. effort. So they yes. might have a... The government is not sleeping, by the way. Like, that's not to say the government is not doing anything about this. They're actually doing and identifying the sex traffickers. And they actually have um, different projects. For example, the National Crime Project, the National Crime Agency in the United States. We also have a bunch of... Um, you sorry, the UK's National Crime Agency. We also have a bunch of um, um institutions or agencies in the US and Canada that are also monitoring this because sex trafficking can also happen like nationally, but also there's the problem of international sex trafficking. That's a whole different topic, right? <laughs> international. Um, but uh it's most of the sex trafficking rings, they also end up being international so rarely is the case that for example that especially in the european um, in in europe rarely is the case that it will just be trafficked within united nation um, sorry united kingdom right normally they would start somewhere in maybe they come in here from vietnam they will start somewhere in romania albania then they will be in the united kingdom scotland and then they may be in france and there you see the trace right but what COVID did was COVID actually, one, confined. They all moved online, but then they were confined because they couldn't go out. So you could actually track their routes and the, the activities blew up, right? You could actually track their routes within the United Kingdom because that's the only market that they suddenly had access to. Um, So, yeah, in terms of what the government can do to actually improve the situation. I think that this needs to become an issue. It needs to, they need to provide data. This is very sensitive. I mean, I had a very hard time in collecting this data myself. So it's actually very sensitive. It's sensitive images, sensitive information. So first of all, I think there has to be some sort of framework on how to deal with this sort of sensitive data. And this would let um, researchers or open source projects, I think, which is a very difficult thing to achieve in this area, but I think it would also help. Um, 
I'm not sure if it's sensible to cover open source in this kind of project because of the sensitivity of the information. Well, I think there needs to be a way for more people to get on board uh, to participate in this. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Um, like you said, I'm sure the the data and if anyone obviously like yourself having to go through that is um, sorry, it's very traumatic. Um, so yeah, I think that's there's a lot to think about for how you could actually work with that kind of data and how people could handle that data um, and yeah, what that would mean um, for moving moving forward. I think that the um, the the paper that you published showing the work that you've done there is really, really important work. Um, and I think this is something that the government, not just this government, but every government, because it's a, it's a worldwide issue, right? Obviously, we know um, sex trafficking happens everywhere, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, every, every Most countries I've travelled to, you know, you hear of sex trafficking um, happening uh, and it being an issue. So I think, yeah, this needs to be you know, as we have, I guess, th these worldwide ethical frameworks for AI, I think we need more worldwide frameworks, like you were saying, for um, looking into the to these issues on, online now with um, with sex trafficking and the sex exploitation. I don't think the problem is in data acquisition. I mean, anybody can, you know, any data scientist can write a web crawler, get adult work data and do whatever kind of analysis they want. I mm. think the, the gap is in its use, right? You you just, when you see these pictures, for any moral or ethical reasons, you just cannot um, publish such results. Like I have a paper here in front of me with pictures from this website this is another paper completely, but we were not able to publish this because it was, um, it's, it's, you just can't, right? You just can't do that. <laughs> it's just not something you can do. And that's because we don't know how to deal with this sort of information. There's no way to actually share this sort of information. So in its use, in a sharing, sharing of results, most it happens, it's not, it's not like projects are not going on. It's not in a completely abandoned area. It happens, but it's not open source. It happens like behind closed doors and you have to really know where these projects are going on. You actually have to get on these projects to actually um, use this thing. And even when you've got, your, you have results from this analysis or this project, most of these projects are shared with law enforcement agencies or government agencies. No one is training um, anybody, like even independent sex worker. Anyone visits Reddit and sees a sex ad from an exploit victim or exploited victim, no one knows how to identify this. The public doesn't know how to identify sexual exploitation if they saw it on, say, Twitter or if they saw it on Reddit, right? Just keep scrolling. So most people would even block said ad. But yeah, so I think that's one of the gap. Uh, public awareness is something that needs to be done, but not just public awareness in terms of like talking about the problem, but training the no uh, normal people to identify this sort of exploitive ads or comments on social media platforms, online platforms, online forums because that's where they are now. Do you think, um, aside from more regulation or like regulation for accountability, there's another way that companies can be um, incentivized to look for and remove um, human trafficking content, I guess? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I think when it comes to incentivizing companies besides regulation in terms of sex ads that's a very difficult thing to do because most of the places that you would see this um sort of ads are on these sex platforms whose business is to sell sex so uh it's it's quite a it's a, i i at this moment i, I can't really say what sort of action 
would incentivize them to look for this art. Some of them do act in a moral way, but that's just, you know, personal morals, not because they are under any legal binding agreement to do so. They act within the frameworks of the law, which is, you know, make sure everyone coming to your site is above the age of 18 and or above a certain age prior to the Pornhub and OnlyFans saga, it was such a big deal when I think it was the UK government, but during Theresa May's, um, I think it was during Theresa May's um, prime ministership that the issue of verifying they actually ate in. But that's showing some form of ID before you miss it, this sort of adult site came up. I don't think that passed because people were just not, no one is going to upload their driver's license to Pornhub. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so basically what we have now is, are you waiting? Yes. And you're in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. And once the websites show that, um, show new users that question and they confirm that they are 18 by every legal de de um, definition they've met their requirement <laughs> to do that so i think that they will do what they're supposed to do legally and to the extent to which they're supposed to i mean Pornhub literally had to be dragged to court <laughs> and even at that they, they still don't believe that they should heavily regulate their plans so, yeah, and I guess another question that I have is you mentioned that, of course, none of them are advertising 30, 40 year old women. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens to these women after the age of 25 or, you know, when when they're like done or they like if they manage to escape or, oh, right. do you so know? They most of this those those ones that the only ones that you actually hear the stories of are those that were somehow found or somehow had the courage to tell their stories or were somehow gotten out of this um, sex trafficking rings by law enforcement. And what happens to them? Yes, they live with the scar of this. Most of them would most of them would have a life-threatening disease like AIDS or some other. Um, sexually contacted disease that they have to live with for the rest of their life. Most of them have their wounds destroyed. They literally cannot have babies anymore. Um, so it's basically the fact that they have been scarred for life. And what sort of jobs do these women or these girls go into? Um, we so I read a research somewhere where they say some sex workers who finally um, exchange. For, so if you don't get rescued, right, some sex workers see in their world greener pastures as sort of getting into the elite porn industry, uh, right? <laughs> so you can watch Louis Thoreau's uh, uh, um, documentary. So they see that as a path for, them, for themselves. Others just go into oblivion. They can't do anything with their lives. Maybe they just, you know, live in loneliness and with a lot of health issues that they are treating. So yeah, I think it's it's pretty dire for these girls. Yeah. Oh gosh, that nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible because I, I think they like. The consequences for the victims are much worse than even if the traffickers get caught, they get yeah. what, so like yeah. 20 years in prison or something. I mean, it's not. Oh, no, nothing um, can compare. I, I feel like these, yeah. I even think, um, I even think if we had the, even if you had the death penalty for, say, sex trafficking, sex traffickers, that's still not going to, you know, take away the scars that these women have to live with for the rest of their life. Um, I think the, the fact that, you know the fact that these women are at risk from the beginning or girl, young girls um once you're in this unfortunately i think you can't ever reverse those scars um and i think that you should be 
in an ideal world this would never happen to begin with but we know that's not how the world works but i think that there definitely needs to be heavier regulation on on from governments to to combat this and understand that it's not just there's now an online world as well but i'm yeah. also a bit conscious a bit conscious of the time unfortunately I think we need to probably wrap up now and um, this has been obviously a very very heavy subject but thank you Ruth for sharing this has been amazing um so work that you were doing yeah really eye-opening I think for certainly for me but I think probably to all our listeners as well to um, get more of an understanding of the the topic and some of the things that technology can do for good in this case uh, even if it sometimes also facilitates the, the bad yeah and, and we'll definitely we'll share um we'll share on the podcast the the paper that you that you wrote so people can um, understand the research in more depth as well and also all your details as well Ruth. so thank you again Ruth it's been amazing to have you I'm glad I could share my research with you and thank you very much for having me yeah all right guys we'll see you again in, in a few weeks Bye. Bye.